Her life changed forever on 9-11. And for the next 10 years, she suffered tragedy, heartache, and business failures time and time and time again. But she never gave up. She finally found business success. And she found that success because she didn't trade her passion for a paycheck. Let's hear her story on this episode of the MPM Podcast. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan. And at every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AMPM Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of AMPM Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Jordan, and today we have the lovely Lori Barsvi. And Lori has a pretty incredible story to tell, and she's got a pretty incredible business going on. Lori, do you want to introduce yourself briefly and tell everybody about your business, Love Lori? Hi, Tim. Yes, sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, I have a business, as you mentioned, called Love Lori. It is a foot care business, but more in the beauty sense. Um, I'm not a podiatrist. I just create products to make your feet healthy and pretty. And um, I got started, it was really by accident. Um, I invented a foot care product by accident called My Soulmate. And back in 2008, and I built a private label brand around that product. So that was like the most humble introduction I've ever heard. So some highlights about Lori. She's been doing this full time now. She lives in Manhattan, which isn't a cheap place to live. So her business is doing well. She's been featured on Good Morning America, The Today Show, countless magazines, business articles. Like you've kind of been all over the place, right? I don't like to say that, but in terms of business, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I could have worded that better. Your business has been featured in many places. Lori has not been around the block. That's the point we're trying to make here. <laughs> Completely wrong message. All right. So, so Lori, for all intents and purposes, you're living the dream, right? You're doing well on Amazon. You've got your own product. You've got your own business. You've got your own social media stuff going on. You're living the good life in New York City. And it took a lot of work to get there, but it's a position that a lot of people would like to be in. Correct? I, I mean, I, I think it's a pretty fair statement. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> but the reason you're here is because it was not an easy journey. And the reason that I invited you on here is to, to talk about that. So let's move beyond the highlights of the successful business that you started in are you attempted to start? We'll get to that in 2008. And let's go back to the actual birthing of my soulmate. And if you don't mind, let's kind of talk about how this business came to be starting with the day before 9-11. Okay. Well, um, the night before 9-11, I called my brother, um, or he called me actually. And we were on the phone for about three hours. He was um, four years older than me. Wait, just and time out. Let me ask this. A three-hour phone call with your brother. Is this like a normal thing that happened? No. It was totally unusual. We never talked on the phone for that long. We hardly even talked on the phone. I, I was just, yeah, it was crazy. So, so like the stars aligned, you ended up for three hours on the phone with your brother on September 10th. 
What did you guys talk yeah. about that evening? I mean, strangely, we talked about everything, like from our personal lives to our professional lives, because, you know, we were just getting to the point where our age difference wasn't that great anymore. And I had been waiting for this, like, since I was four years old and he told me we couldn't play in the bath together with Tom and Jerry anymore. <laughs> like, that devastated me because I loved my brother so much and playing with him. And I swear, like, that phone call was like, yes, like, I get to hang out with him again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we talked about everything. And one thing that we talked about was work. And um, my brother was a very smart guy. He always did well in school and he was successful at a very young age. And he worked for a company called Cantor Fitzgerald in the World Trade Center. Um, he was making a really good living, but he was working 16 hour days and you know, not necessarily loving the position that he was in. And he expressed that to me. And um, my brother had a great love for everything Latin and flamenco guitar in Spain and he taught himself how to speak Spanish and he expressed to me that night that he would like to move to Spain and maybe do something more entrepreneurial and um, I don't know I think that conversation kind of helped him figure out that he wasn't loving the corporate grind and the money wasn't making him happy and you know, I was psyched for him because he'd figured out that night we got off the phone and I felt like, okay, tomorrow's going to be like the beginning of the rest of his life. So this was like a really heartfelt conversation you guys had. And he's in a position that, again, most people would want to be in. He's working, you know, a prestigious job in Manhattan, you know, World Trade Center office. He's, he's kind of living the American dream, so to speak, right? And this was his like deep reconnection with you and basically told you he didn't like his job and he wanted to get out there and, and not continue to trade, you know, this good paycheck for a lack of freedom. Is that a good assessment? Exactly. All right. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. All right, good. All right. So continue, continue the story. And then, well, as we know, the next day was 9-11 and my brother worked on the 103rd floor and as most people know, nobody on those floors made it out and my brother did not make it out. So, um, you know, having that conversation the night before, it's not as if it clicked for me the very next day that I said, oh my God, you know, my brother died today, so I better make sure I do something I love. But, you know, as I, as the years started to go by and I started to kind of like, myself come back to life a little bit because I, I'm sure I re remained like in a very numb state for a very long time. Um, I started to think about more like what I wanted to do. And um, actually then about three years later, my father became sick. He, he um, was diagnosed with lung cancer mm. and he was a restaurateur and he was building his second restaurant location in Manhattan with his two partners. And he was kind of the brains behind the business. His partners were my cousins who were from Israel and they didn't really read or write English. And they were more like front of the house. My father was back of the house. And we knew my dad 
my dad's cancer was terminal and literally from his deathbed, I was taking notes from him of like how to run a restaurant business. I was <laughs> now by that time, like 28 years old, I was still working in corporate America, knowing like I have to quit my job to now figure out how to get my father's restaurant up and running. So that was a nightmare. <laughs> um, I hated it. I did it for a year and, you know, I felt like I had to give it a try. I had to give it a go for my dad. Um, I knew really from the start, I didn't want to do it because I had been in the restaurant business when I was in college, just like bartending and waitressing, but I knew that this wasn't a business I wanted to be in, but I gave it the good cause try. And um, after a year, you know, I called my mom like hysterical. I said, I hate this. I'm not happy. Um, you know, Guy died, Guy was my brother's name, and, you know, my brother died in, in a position, you know, doing something that he wasn't happy with, and I don't want that for me, like, I need to find something that I love, and without hesitation, my mom was like, get out of there, you know? So let me, let me back up and, and reframe this a little bit. So that period of time between 9-11 and your father passing away. What were you doing in those three, three, four years in that, in that period? I was working in corporate America. I was working um, for a direct marketing company and then another company called iVillage, um, also doing direct marketing. Gotcha. So you're also working in Manhattan doing the corporate thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So your father loses the battle with cancer, we'll say, and you left your corporate world and jumped into restauranting, restaurant touring at that point, correct? And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and a year of that, you have had enough. So this has been a tough four years for you, right? Yeah. Like, I know a lot of people look back and they think about like 9-11 and the changes that it made in the world and I, I didn't know anybody that lived in New York. I didn't know anybody directly related to to this, you know, tragedy. But I remember how stressful it was for everybody. So you were going through the stress that everybody else was, plus the shock because you live in Manhattan, and and as I understand, you know, everything was different for New Yorkers. Plus, you've got this direct, you know, crisis of your brother. You know, like kind of unimaginable how much stress and pressure you were under, and you're still working, you're trying to, you know, get on your feet as a young adult, trying to do all those things. And you told me that it was three years between your brother and your father, right? But even in that gap, your father had lung cancer. Like you don't just get a diagnosis and, and pass away the next day. Like there was, you know, probably a, a fairly decent period of time where you're dealing with a father who was progressing worse and worse and worse and going through the stages of cancer. And and I mean, you said you were sitting there with him on his deathbed, taking notes on how to run a restaurant. Like that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty hard stuff. Yeah. It was about eight months um, from the time he was diagnosed until he passed away. So I'm just speculating. I suspect it's safe to say that, you know, that conversation you had with your mom, you know, a year after trying to keep this restaurant running was probably, you know, tied up there with one of the low points in your, your motivation, you know, your psyche, your, your kind of life. Is that right? You know, all this stuff's kind of stacked up. Um, I actually was kind of a high point because I felt like liberated, you know, I was like <laughs> so happy to not have to wake up. And I had, I felt so much pressure, 
you know, to make this restaurant work and, and to, you know, do well at what I was doing um, and to kind of live this legacy out for my dad. It was just so much pressure and it was pressure just to like make the restaurant work, you know, the, the rent in Manhattan to have a restaurant, you know, it's, it's got the highest failing rate, rate of, of businesses. Any business. Yeah. And just so much pressure. And when I had that conversation with my mom, it was like the weight of the world was um, taken off my shoulders. And I didn't want to let her down. Um, I was really afraid of letting her down by saying, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, and her being disappointed, but it was totally the opposite. And it, yeah, having her support was everything. There's so many things in life that, and, and I'm still pretty young, but I feel like I'm, I'm aging quickly. <laughs> you know, you're probably in that same boat, you know, probably had more life experience than most people your age. And one thing that I've noticed is that we that care about our families, and I think as entrepreneurs in general, oftentimes feel pressure and feel stressed to do things for other people that we don't want to do. And we feel like that's our duty and we feel like that's our goal. And there's been so many times where I've been involved in failing businesses, but I feel like I had to prove to somebody else or I had to make this work for an, you know the employees or I had to make sure this investor was happy and this and this. And we put so much pressure on ourselves. And what I continuously notice is that when we finally get to our breaking point and we are done and we can't take it anymore and we can't handle it, Nobody cared as much as we did. Like we felt like all these people were going to be furious at us and these people were going to be so disappointed and they didn't really care. Like, sure, go do your thing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I did it again. I like assumed all these people felt this way and I put all this pressure on myself that wasn't warranted. And if I would have just talked to them sooner or went down this path a little bit sooner, like I could have been out from underneath this cloud long ago. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it did take me though, I did really wait till my own breaking point. Um, I wasn't gonna let what my mother's feelings were stop me either way, um, but it was that much less stress that I had to deal with because she was supportive. But either way, I was, I was out. Yeah. You know? So you've, <laughs> like, you've just had a hellacious four years. And if I'm following the story correctly, when you got off the phone with your mom, you don't have a job anymore, <laughs> right? Like you've left corporate America to take over the restaurant and now you're walking away from the restaurant. You're living in Manhattan. You've got to take care of yourself. What's next? Well, in the spirit of full disclosure, um, you know, I, it was my dad's restaurant. He was one of three partners and he had invested money in the restaurant. So it then went to his his ownership share went to me and so they bought me out cuz they continued you know on with the restaurant is the they, restaurant they, still they, operating now oh no it like <laughs> there's a whole other drama like i just I also could work with these guys and i knew that they didn't know what they were doing and i knew the only reason why my father's first restaurant was so successful was because of him yeah. and i knew without him that's also why it was kind of really stressful for me because I'm like, how am I supposed to fill my father who's been an entrepreneur for, you know, 50 years? Like, how am I supposed to figure out how to do what he did? Um, and I knew I wouldn't be capable. Um, but anyway, they ended up going out of business like a year and a half later, like a quarter million of dollars in debt. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so I got out with my dad's share. Um, so I had a little bit of money. Um, you know, to kind of keep me afloat. And 
to be honest with you, I was a mess. Like I was just an emotional mess after kind of like, you know, four years of, of that. Like, you know, I think I was just like on autopilot for all that, all those years. Um, you know, and then like going through with my father, his cancer and not having my brother there. And, but, you know, you have to get up somehow and, and do what you got to do. And I don't know, at least for me, like I just, my body just was like, okay, you know, you got to do this and you got to get up and you got to go take care of your dad. And so I just did it. And then I think like when all of this was over with the restaurant business, I was like, I need a break. You know, I need a, I need to like, I don't know. I need to regroup. I need to take time off. I need to just figure out what I want to do with life. And I need to find some spark of joy in my life. Like I literally had not had a spark of joy in four years. You know, it was very hard for me to feel happy or even smile or the guilt and just so much. And um, I remember I was kind of just like roaming the streets. Like I'd wake up and you know, in the morning and I just walk around Manhattan and look at the buildings and like this went on for a while. <laughs> I was just, I was just like, lost. And, um, I really isolated for a very, very long time. And I was, I went to the movies by myself one night and I went to see the movie, Shall We Dance? But, uh, with Richard Gere and, and Jennifer Lopez. And I saw them dancing and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, I want to take dance lessons. And the very next day, I signed up for a dance lesson. And I, the feeling I can't even like, I, the, the closest thing I could just say is like the feeling of like when you're first falling in love with somebody. And I didn't know that you could get that feeling from something that wasn't another person. And um, that kind of, changed everything for me like I it saved me it really saved me was starting to take dance lessons and that's kind of what I did for the next few months <laughs> so you weren't working you had a little money you replaced you know wandering the streets aimlessly like a hobo you're staring at buildings with yeah. uh with dancing so you were tearing up the dance floors and or the studios at least yeah and that's how, that's what led me to come up with the idea for my soulmate by total accident. I was dancing so much. So my feet were really dry and I was always sitting. I know it's weird. I sit down in the shower. I don't know why I do that. You know, because it's like, you, you want to like get a good scrub and it's hard to like hold on and whatever. So I'd sit down in the shower every day to scrub my feet with a pumice stone. I don't know how, you know, you're very like, you're a real like dude. Like, I, don't <laughs> I didn't know like what you were going to say. I'm like, how is she about to categorize me right now in this conversation? Okay. So I'm a dude. Not Metro. Okay. All. all right. Got you. Like Alabama man. Like, you know. Um, so I don't even like see you knowing what a pumice stone is. Like in New York, the guys know. <laughs> Where you are, I don't know. But <laughs> I feel like there's so much stereotyping that just happened right there. One, <laughs> Alabama guys don't take care of their feet. And no, well, two, I think you just kind of said a lot of New York guys are metro. I don't <laughs> I don't understand what's going on right now, but I love it. 
<laughs> All right, so let's carry on before you say something that really embarrasses me. Um, so you're sitting down frequently in the shower, scrubbing your feet with a pumice stone. So my feet were not only dry, but they were dirty because of the dancing, because the shoes were like open back heel. So you have to like take a soap to clean your feet. Okay. And I would forgetting the soap up above in the, in the shower caddy. I would forget to like bring it down with me. And it's and so the- hard to just stand up and get it. So you're sitting in the bottom of the shower in despair. The soap is so far away and I cannot scrub my feet. This is like, this is horrible. This is a tragedy right now. Like I'm playing out the soap opera of you staring at the soap caddy with your, and you, and you look, those, those of you that are watching this on YouTube, you can't like get a grasp of, of how tiny Lori actually is. So in like real life size, Lori comes up to like, mid chest so her arms are only like this long so in an in an adult size shower she definitely cannot reach the caddy sitting down so this really is a crisis what she's describing all right please continue so you're sitting on the shower you can't reach your soap caddy it's awful what are we gonna do well i'm not gonna like go through this whole process you know I'll just like scrub my feet and not use the soap because i'm just too lazy to get up Cause I'm like, I'm comfortable, you know? So this happened day after day after day until finally one day I, it just so happened that I had, you know, when the soap like gets down to like that nub, mm-hmm. for some reason, I had it like on the ledge of the bathtub and I took it and I just squashed it onto my pumice stone and I had a two in one product in my hand and I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like <laughs> I could never, like, I'll never forget the soap again because it's attached. And I, I can be very lazy and I am all about convenience and, and two in one things and whatever. And I made a two in one product and it just, this like small, simple thing for me was life changing. And I was like, I've got to make this. Love it. So you launched it in 2000. This was 2008, right? Yes. All right. So 2008, you've got a product idea. You put it all together, created this amazing branding. You went out on these platforms, launched it, and it was a raging success. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So it wasn't a raging success. What happened? Raging failure. First of all, there were what platforms? It was 2008. Like... I never even heard of Amazon in 2008. So how are you selling it? Well, this was still the day of the infomercial when the infomercials were like really hot. And, you know, when I said I'd worked in direct marketing, so now I'm really going to date myself. But my first job was brokering space in credit card billing statement envelopes. So I would be the liaison between the bank, say Bank of America, and an advertiser, um, usually selling what was then called trinkets and trash, um, (laughs) putting their advertisements, you know, they used to, Tim, you're younger than me, I don't even know if you remember this stuff, but they put an insert into your credit card billing statement envelope and like for $2.99, you know, just send this form back and you'll get this or just pay shipping and handling and you'll get this or a thank you offer. So, and a lot of the products were actually also infomercial products 
And so we used to get a lot of um, infomercial product like samples. Once I turned my skin green with some <laughs> tanning lotion <laughs> that we sold, it was green. And I was like, oh, maybe it just takes a while to turn brown. It ended up, it was expired and I was like stuck <laughs> green for a while. <laughs> That's another story. So anyway, so I had this idea and I made it. I had no idea how to bring it to market, like no idea what to do. And I called my old boss and he said, hey, why don't you call this guy who is at an infomercial company? And I called the infomercial company and I showed them my product and they said, wow, you know, well, we only take on products that we really believe in. And that's because we invest half the money into your infomercial. And so here's a performa. We love your product so much. Here's the amount of money we think it's going to make at the end of the year. We think your product's going to make $2 million by the end of the year. So we're going to take it on. But you just have to pay us a couple lot of thousand dollars for the other part of the infomercial. Now, here I am. I still had some of the money that I got from the buyout. And I wanted to do something, like, good with it. You know, I didn't want to, it was like, Trust me, I, I tried to shop and stuff after 9-11 and after my brother died, and I learned very quickly that money does not bring happiness. Um, you know, I bought a Louis Vuitton bag, I think, and, like, it was great for a day, and, and I was like, okay, this is not what I'm doing with this money. Like, I need to do something meaningful with it. So I took the last of that money, and I gave it to these scam artists um, to make my infomercial. And the reason why I say they are scam artists is, they did produce the infomercial for me. What they didn't really do was explain to me how the infomercial industry really works. This was before Amazon. This was before online shopping. So the only way to get into retail at that time was you had to show proof of sales. You had to show, and you still do, but back then you couldn't show that through like, hey, look, look at all, you know, the 800 stars I have on Amazon. Here's your proof of, you know, concept. Um, you didn't have that back then. So what these infomercial companies would do and what they still do is, you know, they pump like millions and millions and millions of dollars into these, you know, into these infomercials and into buying the airspace and the ad space. Um, and they lose money on that side, but they know they're going to lose money because their ultimate goal is to get into retail. So the retailers don't care or didn't care from the way I understood it at that time what, what kind of money you had to spend in order to get those sales. Like they didn't care if, the, if it was at a loss. All they wanted to see was that there were sales. They didn't care how they got them. So, you know, and now you're talking about these multi-million dollar companies who have the money to do this. One person like, you know, me, it, it's impossible. It's not a realistic thing. And that's something they never told me. And I, I realized it as soon as the first airing aired. Um, because not only did I have to give them money to create the infomercial, I had to buy the test airtime. And I was sitting at my computer waiting for all these orders to come rolling in when 
the commercial aired and it was like, you know, surreal to see this product that you invented and now it's on TV. And like, I don't think one sale came through. And then I waited for like the next airing and maybe one sale came, like literally like $12.99 sale, you know, or $9.99, whatever it was then. And by the third airing, I was like, I was standing on, I was living in Miami at the time. I was standing on my terrace. I was like looking over. I'm like, I'm going to throw myself off this terrace. Like, oh my God, what did I just, what did I do? What have I done? And I called the company and I said, stop the airings, cancel them. At least let me get back the money um, that I put in for the airtime. Let me at least recoup that amount because I knew that there was no way this was going to happen. And um, that was it for a while. I, I gave up on it. I, I, had, I was out of money. I had to go back to work now and, and get a job. And um, I didn't know how to bring, I didn't know what to do because, you know, you can, you can be a product idea person, but that ends up being the easy part. Yep. You know, trying to market your product, trying to get people to buy it. I mean, you can have the best product in the world, but if it's sitting in a warehouse somewhere and nobody knows about it, well, who's buying it? And then how do you get people to know that it's in a warehouse somewhere? You know, you that this stuff is like people go to college and get MBAs for this kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> At least they used to. Um and and so, you know, I had friends who would say to me, oh, well, you know, this would be great for the nail salons. Why don't you go to the nail salons and you can sell? And I knew one thing I've always had is like a lot of self-awareness and know like my strengths and weaknesses. And I knew that I wanted to either go big with this product or go home. I wasn't interested in selling 25 pieces to one nail salon, 25 pieces to the next nail salon. And also I'm not a salesperson and I had no desire to walk around with like a suitcase and try and- <laughs> Full of soapy pumice stones. <laughs> yeah. No way. So um, I like surrendered and um, I went, back to work at some point um but in the middle somewhere in the middle um this is when good morning america was doing um product reviews infomercial reviews it was a segment called we try before you buy and um i did have a friend who worked at good morning america and she said listen you know they have interest in, in reviewing your product, but I have to tell you now, if they don't like this product, like I have no influence over this, if they don't like it, you know, they're going to kill your product. So you have to like, like sign That's a waiver. That's a pretty big risk. Not, yeah, I, I, but she was like, you know, you have to sign a waiver that like, we're not gonna not be friends if this goes to hell. And I, you know, I knew I had a great product. That was never a question to me because I knew how much I loved it. And I was like, if I love it this much, it's not because it was my baby. I'm not, I wasn't emotional about it um, or anything like that. I just knew it was something I felt instinctually like this is something that people will want because I know how great it was for me. Um, and I didn't even think twice about it. I was like, no, give it to them, you know, like, 
I want them to review it. And they did, and they reviewed it um, from Central Park, like live, like this morning that the Jonas Brothers were performing. So it was a huge audience and, you know, all of America. And um, they started reviewing one infomercial product after the other and like killed, like killed it, meaning not good. Not in the way we say killed it today, right? <laughs> like, like literally dead, like this is horrible. This gets a C plus, you know, this is like whatever, don't buy it. And then they got to mine and she said like- Now, we're, we're, time out. Were you there yeah. live? Were you watching this on TV? No, no watching a TV at home by myself. <laughs> that, that sounds so sad by myself. Okay. <laughs> Such as my, whatever, let's not get into that. Um, I was home and she was like, this is, uh, she's like, I don't normally, I would give this product an A plus, but I only save that for things that like end world hunger and get Brangelina back together. This is back when Brad and Angelina were like <laughs> <Yeah>. getting splitting <laughs> up. She's like, you know, basically it was the best thing since sliced bread gave it an A minus. And overnight I, you know, did, I don't know, $30,000 in sales or something from that 11 second segment where they didn't even like show my website. So, I called my mom and I was like, I'll never forget it. I was like, mom, oh my God, finally, like we're going to be millionaires. And my mother said, oh my God, Lori, you're going to be on Oprah. <laughs> and I, was like, I don't know about that, but you know. You're talking about having successful business. She's like, get on Oprah. Let Oprah yeah. give them away. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, this is it. Finally, you know, uh, I made it. And one day passed, two days passed, three days passed, and I was back to zero sales. And I learned you can even have a huge success on this segment, but I learned a lot about PR and how PR works. And that is, if you don't continuously do PR, the buzz wears off very quickly and people forget and they're on to the next product. Um, and PR is really expensive. Like I was lucky enough to get that spot you know, not having to pay for it because I was risking or whatever. That just wasn't how that segment worked. You don't pay to be on those segments. Um, but if you want to, you know, keep being on TV, it's, you know, it's thousands and thousands of dollars a month, which I didn't have. So I gave up on it again. What else were you doing for income? Because I'm just curious now. So like at this point, you know, you're obviously not making money unless you invest a lot of money. In it. What else were you doing? You had another job, I guess? I was also working at a direct marketing company. Okay. Yeah. So fast forward to when Love Lori got its second birthing, so to speak. Like Love Lori's dead in the water. Nothing's happening with it. You're back to the nine to five grind. What was the thing that brought it back out of its retirement? Well, I got a call from a company called Time Life, who was a really big company. They used to sell um, music on TV, on CDs, like old timer music or whatever. And it was DRTV, but just with music. And they called me and I, I don't know, they, they had seen the GMA spot and they said, you know, we really love your product and we want to license it from you. Um, we want to get into the infomercial. We want to get into the DRTV 
product category with something that isn't music and we want to basically use your product as our guinea pig which meant they were gonna shoot a whole new infomercial on their dime and invest about $150,000 into airtime. And so I was like, this is it, this is it. You know, like they have the money, you know, $150,000 into, into airtime. It's definitely like, it's gonna work. And I called my mom back up again and I said, mom, we're gonna be millionaires because this huge company is taking over my product. And um, so, you know, they, they did the infomercial and, you know, months went by and we reshot it and it took two weeks of testing and they called me and they said, I'm sorry, but it didn't reach our, you know, whatever they needed, whatever kind of numbers they needed to make in order to determine that this would be a good product and they gave me the product back. And so I don't know, what is this like number nine failure or something with this product? Um, yeah, but now here's where it really happened. <laughs> so I'm back at work a few years later, um, I'm at work on Facebook, which I'm not supposed to be, but you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and I see a post, uh, from some friend or whatever that um, is selling stuff on Amazon and she's buying stuff and reselling it. And I really, you know, didn't know what she was talking about. I, I wasn't even shopping on Amazon yet. And I knew about Amazon, but I thought everything that Amazon sold was from Amazon. Yep. And now I see the woman is selling stuff on Amazon. So I started, basically I'm like, okay, this sounds interesting. Cause I, you know, now that I've gotten a taste of entrepreneurship, um, Oh, I had a dance studio in the middle of all that. <laughs> yeah. So, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I guess it's safe to say the dance studio business didn't go too well either because, well, one, you no. forgot about it in your whole story, and it's not still operating. So, all right. Uh, failure number 10. We'll, we'll add that. We're now into double digits of hardcore failures over 10 years. Because I started, I love dancing so much. And then I was like, oh, let me like make this my career. And I, I bought this dance studio and it was, it was horrible. And I went out of business as fast as I went into business. Um, yeah, I think I had like a grand opening and a closing like in the same month or something. Oh, it was geez. crazy. So, so now you've discovered Amazon. And I discovered Amazon and I still like have this entrepreneurial thing. Like I don't want to work in corporate America. And I'm still like wanting to do something entrepreneurial and, you know, having my brother very much still in my mind about, you know, him, you know, needing to find something that I love to do, not just for me, but for him, you know, like I felt like this would be my way to honor him is to find something that I love to do. And so I started looking into the Amazon thing. Um, I took a course and I learned how to, you know, list products and, or go out and buy them and scan them and all of that stuff. And, um, and then I don't know it like, and then once I really understood Amazon, it kind of just like one day I woke up and I was like, wait a second, I have a product I invented. I think I can sell it. I should try and sell it on Amazon. And I happened to have like old inventory and I was like, let me just try. And I had this like whole following on Facebook already built because of all the years that I was doing, um, you know, my soulmate and trying to get it off the ground. 
and I put it on Amazon and I made like all these big announcements on Facebook and within three weeks it became a top 10 bestseller. So after, you know, six years of failure and all that, three weeks on Amazon and that was it. Yeah, game, like the rest game of over in a good way. Start making like a billion dollars, but yeah. But you now get to live off of it and you have a successful business. And I mean, it's, I think it's awesome. And I've known you for a few years now and watching you and following you. I, I see all this crazy stuff, like, like these posts you make, like, oh, fancy that Black Friday again. I was the number one bestseller in foot care and like all these crazy accolades that now it's just like, I just come to expect it. And you, sometimes, I, you know, I wonder if like the newness and shock is worn off for you. But every time I see it, I'm like, Holy cow, she did it again. Like number one bestseller in all these categories on like the biggest shopping days of the year online. Like that's huge. And I, I think my big takeaway from this is that it took you a long freaking time. Like, like this was not an overnight thing. Like you were getting like sucker punched in the face by Mike Tyson time <laughs> after time after time after time and like literally getting knocked down. And like, just kept getting back up and getting knocked down again and, and getting back up and dealing with things that were business related and not business related, dealing with, you know, horrific personal tragedy, you know, plus just like everyday life. And then like all those times you woke up and realized, Hey, I'm broke. Like, I don't have any money. Like I have to go back and get a job, but never forgetting about that entrepreneurial spirit and drive and flame that you had and this product idea and this passion. And when I say passion, I mean, passion for the product, passion for dance, which became the product and also passion for, I don't know, I guess we could say what your brother did, not trading a paycheck for, you know, your passion. And you could have stayed in corporate America. You could have had, you know, I'm sure you would have done perfectly fine in corporate America. I'm sure you would have had a steady paycheck, but that's not what you wanted. And I'm absolutely certain your brother is proud of you and, and, you know, would be massively, you know, thrilled to be able to share with you, you know, how excited he is to have watched your resilience and watched everything that has happened until today. You know, when you're on this podcast talking about this successful business, but, but also able to share that it wasn't easy, that there were a lot of ups and downs and that. You did, you know, I'm certain have sleepless nights and nights when you're on your knees trying to figure out what's next and how do I recover from this and what do I do? And oh my gosh, I've made mistakes. And I think that yours is obviously a much more dramatic story than most entrepreneurs, but most entrepreneurs or every entrepreneur has periods in those life in their lives or at least in their entrepreneur journey of like, I don't know what to do now. Like this didn't go the way it was supposed to. Something unforeseen has happened. Like. I'm going to lay in bed today and watch Netflix and eat Lucky Charms because I don't want to get up because it's rainy outside and this has happened and my life sucks. And like, you know, it seems like, you know, all of us on the entrepreneur journey have like huge ups and downs, ups, downs, ups, downs. And those downs are hard. Your downs have been further than most. And I don't just mean sitting on the floor of your shower with your short arms that can't reach the soap tray. I mean, like, I mean, real life. So as we wrap up, I want you to... One, I want to say thank you for sharing this and thank you for sharing it with all of our listeners and, you know, being willing to kind of share your journey because I think it's powerful. But if you had one piece of advice that you've learned that you wanted to share, one motivating thing, one, you know, life lesson that you continuously 
brought up in your mind or continuously remembered that helped you get up in those low times? And if you could speak directly to a fellow entrepreneur that's in one of those low times, like right now, what would you tell them to encourage them to get up and keep going because there could be a huge success just right around the corner? Um, I, I think like the biggest lesson in all of this, you know, when I look back is that, you know, I tried many different channels to um, get my product off the ground. And if I had not kept trying something else, because I, again, like I knew I had a good product and it wasn't because it was something I was being emotional about which I think a lot of people are, a lot of inventors are, they get very emotional about their products um, and it's their babies and you can't do that in business. Um, you know, you get some feedback from people, hopefully they'll give you honest feedback. And if you do really think like you have an awesome product, but it's just not working this way or that way, try something else. You know, if, if Amazon doesn't work for you, then, you know, maybe try a Kickstarter. And if the Kickstarter doesn't work for you, then maybe try a catalog, you know, at some point, yes, you know, you do have to say, okay, people don't like my product. If it, if it, you know, gets in front of enough people and they're just not buying it, but you know, it, it's, it's all cliche and we've all heard it a million times. Like it took me 10 years to become an overnight success. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you are, you have to be built that way. Like, I just think I'm built that way. My father was an entrepreneur and I think it's just like in my DNA, to be honest with you. I don't think it's because I'm like this heroic person. I think we're just all built in certain ways. Um, and you've got to be willing to just kind of keep going um, and have the stomach for it. And, and I think what's helped me really the most and the reason why I did keep going, um, I never had any ego in it. There's no ego about it. I've never had anything to prove to anybody. Um, you know, I think a lot, I hate to say this, but I think a lot of men, you know, want to prove like, they can make a gazillion dollars or, you know, I, that's never been it for me. I just really, I don't, I never really cared what people thought, but you know, my mother was not on board with any of this, by the way, not supportive. She wanted me to be in corporate America, um, after the restaurant and everything, you know, I think it maybe till last year, she's happy. She's finally like getting it. <laughs> um, but I didn't care, you know, um, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I never, thank God, had anybody telling me like, you're stupid, you shouldn't pursue this, you shouldn't. I've always had very supportive friends. If I've been blessed with anything, it's been great, great friends. And um, that that's it, you just got it, you've got to keep going. And you really have to determine, are you built for this or are you not built for this? And just not have anything to prove to anybody. Just do it because you want to do it and because it makes you happy, not because you're going to be on like, no offense, because you're going to be on a podcast and get to talk about yourself. You know, <laughs> that's not what it's about. I agree. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. I feel like there's still so much that I want to ask you and so much that I want to digest from you, but we just don't have time for that. So we may have to have you on again and talk about some of these other things, I'd like to hear more about the failed dance studio. <laughs> For some reason, that's like resonating. Um, maybe it's because I'm one of those like typical gringos that has never been able to dance at all. So it just intrigues me. But thank you again for being on. Lori, if someone wanted to see more of your brand or go buy your product, guys, go buy her product. 
where can they find this at? Obviously, Amazon. Yes, of course, Amazon. And um, I actually have a whole line of products now. Um, and it, it can be found at www.love-lori.com. Love-lori.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lori. I appreciate you being on. I'm glad that we get to be friends. I'm glad I've known you for a while and look forward to when all this COVID stuff is done, getting out in the world and getting to see you in person again. That would be wonderful. <laughs> all right. So for those of you that are watching, make sure you subscribe, smash that like button on YouTube, like our Facebook page, go to ampmpodcast.com. We've got all sorts of cool content, blogs, all sorts of good stuff there. And if you have appreciated Lori's story and the, the lessons that she's kind of brought us today and getting to kind of share her history, please share this. Share this with anybody else that you know that, that might want to hear this. Share away, and we sure would appreciate you doing that. Thanks again for being here, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.